0: Namo etasa bhagavatu aratua sammasambuddhasa Namo etasa bhagavatu aratua sammasambuddhasa Namo bhagavatu aratua sammasambuddhasa Budang sangang namasami Within the uh, Theravadan tradition, one of the um, identifying features of the uh, Buddhist teachings is the Four Noble Truths. And within the Four Noble Truths, the First Noble Truth is often referred to most frequently, the Noble Truth of Suffering. And uh, there's certainly plenty of good reason for looking at the noble truth of suffering, we have seen a lot of it ourselves in these last few days. You know what it is to have a body with knees that ache and backs that ache and minds that don't settle and thoughts that are sometimes unsettling. And and um, and what can happen with people is there can be a a sense you know that that um, the world is suffering it's not so much that there is suffering but the whole world is suffering and and that's just the way that it is you know and so there's a there can be a kind of sour grapes wet blanket kind of approach to all of life and you know somebody brings a nice beautiful yeah flower and your immediate thought is oh yeah but it's going to die you know and so one is is touching into the to the impermanence of things and it can it can extend into levels where one feels you know if one isn't if one isn't suffering somehow one isn't practicing properly and you can see that in certain people's attitudes and certain uh, that if if there isn't a sense of of um, challenge or with what one is experiencing, or there isn't a sense of looking at the unsatisfactory nature of everything, then there's somehow one's missing the point. But when we look at the four noble truths and we see that the first noble truth is there is suffering, we also need to remember that there's a second and there's a third and there's a fourth noble truth. And if we take these other noble truths into account, rather than it being that life is suffering, uh, what needs to be remembered is that there's an end of suffering. And the experience for most people of the end of suffering is joy, peace, contentment, ease, well-being and so I would suggest that rather than this be a, a path of suffering it's a path of joy and You know, one can begin to see in the practice how one is, you know, this is unfolding. You know, we come and our bodies are tight and tense and it takes a few days to settle in and and get used to a, a new place and new bed, different schedule, different routine, change of diet. And then there's, after a period of time, then there is some settledness that happens. People are able to sit longer and be more comfortable. And one can see just the simple things of the senses brightening and sharpening and opening up. You know, just the ability to feel the, the contact with the earth, with the steps, or the softness of the grass, you know, to appreciate the sounds of the birds in the evening time or the change of the light in the day, you know, or our resident pheasants that like to sunbathe, you know, and their beauty, you know, how beautiful they are. And most of the time when we see something like that, it's like, yeah, but I'm in a rush, I've got to do something, you know. So there's this a fleeting glance and then one's occupied with the next thing so that there isn't an ability just to stop and to appreciate or this morning watching the pigeons taking a bath in the in the in the in the the font in the middle of the courtyard you know they have they have discovered that the bathtub was made especially for them (laughs) and just you know just to stop and and watch you know their joy and in being able to to take their time to have proper baths in the middle of the courtyard. And you know how lovely that was, just to see that. So, we can see our senses beginning to brighten, and being able to stay present with pleasure, with pleasant experiences. We can watch our our bodies go through their changes. And even though there is a certain amount of discomfort, for many there's also more experience of aliveness as mindfulness and attention is brought throughout the whole body. You know, today i I in the groups listening to people sharing from their experience and it touches me to hear some of the things that people share. And, you know, one person in particular was honoring and valuing a friendship that had meant a lot to him and had brought him here. And it touches me to hear people valuing and appreciating each other. You know... Or I went back into my kuti and there was this flower somebody had brought, beautiful, totally unasked for, there was no reason for it, it just arrived, how lovely, you know, to see people's expressions of kindness that are uh, unsolicited and without cause or reason and to feel that and to let that affect us impact us so there's a a way in which the practice allows us to experience and feel joy just in having a body and being more able to stay present with our contact through our senses—you know, the, the smell of the f- roses, or the sound of the bumblebees as it's going near the flowers, the colors of the day, or the soft mist on the field last night as I was walking around—you know, the warmth of the sun, the glorious day, the soft green of the grass, the textures on our feet. And so with practice there comes an ability to be able to be present for and appreciate these things. This is what's happening. And one is actually there for it rather than missing it or rushing on to the next thing. And sometimes we have some moments of peacefulness or settledness or calmness where we can feel connected to our breath. And what it is just to feel the joy of breathing one breath. You know, the kind of madness that goes on in the world because people are not able to feel the joy of breathing one breath. In terms of getting and having and doing and accomplishing and running and moving and is is often the result of not having the ability to experience the joy of having one breath. One footstep. So there's a joy that comes with the settledness of being able to connect with our breath with our feet walking on the earth to be able to connect with what's arising in the in the present moment and it's important not to underestimate this not to just wash over it you know to let it nourish to let it touch and then often what happens around this time of a retreat is, is that there's all kinds of feelings and moods and thoughts and memories that start bubbling up for people and some of it's a little bit unsettling so the tears start flowing and for some people that feels healthy and cleansing and for other people it's uh, it's a little bit disturbing it feels a little bit overwhelming But what's happening is is, is that when one has the sense of safety and support and the right attention, then, then the prisoners of the heart begin to release the things which have not been allowed or felt fully or given permission to be, make themselves known and are expressed and are released. And even though... It's not a pleasant experience being in the middle of the kind of turmoil that happens as these emotions begin to well up and release. The result is a mind and body that feels more rested and whole, that feels more connected, alive where there is an honoring of of the totality of what it is to be human, which includes our sorrow and our grief and our unresolved anger and our frustration. And as we make space for and allow the 10,000 sorrows and the 10,000 joys, there's a a coming into our own in terms of what it is to be human, to be alive, to have a body and a heart and a mind. And you can see that in people, you know, finding their own voice, their own expression, filling out into who they are, taking a stand in their own truth, And there's a beauty in that that's indescribable. There's a lot for most of us in terms of our stories of our lives and the journeys that we've been through that require care and attention to allow and to release and to heal habits of contraction and habits of resistance, habits of not allowing, habits of doubting that we've taken very personally and believed in. And in this path and in this practice all of this becomes evident. It's the stuff that we experience in our meditation in the day. And yet, as we open up to that and experience it, then it gives rise for something new to emerge. Something that's not determined by the old way. So there's a a joy that comes from emerging into a new way based on wisdom and compassion and less on fear on habit there's a joy in becoming a whole person and the totality of all that is involved in that. I'm reminded of some experiences when I was in Australia. You know, there was uh, a... I shared some about my experiences in Australia... There are these wonderful trees called Angophora trees in Australia. Angophora trees are a little bit like eucalyptus trees, but they're just slightly different. And they're, they're very voluptuous. They're, they're fleshy and they've got pink bark most of the year and their, their sap is red. So it's, they've got blood red sap. And it, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see in these trees the shapes of, of bodies. It's sort of the way they are. And for a whole variety of reasons, many of which were unknown to me, when I went to Australia, I felt a lot of shame about being a woman and having a female body. And I didn't know even that I felt that. But when I saw these trees that were absolutely radiant with their voluptuousness (laughs) and very much welcoming and celebrating and rejoicing, it was a mirror to me in a way that I had never experienced before. Because I was walking around with my shoulders hunched and a little bit kind of... And I thought, you know, maybe I can relax... It was as if they were saying, you know, rejoice, you're a woman, rejoice. And so these trees mirrored for me something that helped me feel more comfortable in what it is to be in a feminine form, and to feel not only not ashamed of it, but rejoicing in it. And what a new experience that was, and wonderful So to incarnate into our bodies and to feel the life force that surges through them and to experience that not as an obstacle or as a burden but as something worthy of celebration to rejoice in. There's a lot of joy that comes when one actually begins to make these steps. There's a joy that comes when one is able to begin to unpack layers of things that have been buried and see them. know them touch them and allow them to release they don't n- no longer need to be the driving force of what we do with our lives and how we live and what determines the choices that we make and so the safety that comes from refuge and the safety which enables us to open up to our fear understand our own fear and release our own fear has within it a joy as we become fearless without fear Fearless not in the sense that we no longer experience fear, but fearless in the sense that we're no longer frightened, intimidated, bullied around by fear, not confused by it any longer. Jeannie and I went on this pilgrimage in Italy, and uh, because we had spent some time before we left reading some books about saint francis and uh you know saint francis was a very fierce ascetic he had a strong strong conviction that that lady poverty was a important path for surrender and so he refused his entire life to have material possessions, he had no shoes, he never had money, he never owned anything, he never dealt with money, and so he lived his life as a, as an alms mendicant, barefoot, wandering through the mountains and the valleys of Italy, receiving only what was offered. So, as Anagarika Genie is an, is an Anagarika, she has within the Anagarika precepts very much the, the, it's very much within her right to use and handle money. But it was her decision to relinquish that right in the spirit of the pilgrimage that we were going on and just to see what would happen if we did that, you know, how that would be. And so, you know, when we, we, we were offered some funds in the, f- to make as a donation to the sanctuaries that we were staying in. And so she used funds for that. But aside from that, we had, we had no access to funds. And so the, the first thing that she, that she thought of when we were on this journey was, is that, well, we, we can't buy any postcards. So we have to make them. And so we took the, um, the the brochures that came from the tourist information office and we cut them up and we, we came with glue stick and the, the blank postcards. And so when we were on the train ride from Milan to Rieti, we cut up all these things and we stuck them all together. And then when we were in, we were in, uh, the monastery in Italy, Ajahn Chandapalo showed us around the whole property. And while he was showing us around the property, he, he picked up and, and pointed out some porcupine quills that, uh, were there. And so we we picked up the porcupine quills, and Jeannie's immediate thought is is that we can we can uh, sew them onto the postcards. <laughs> so there was a sense of, you know, one takes on a a voluntarily uh, a a new way of being, not handling money, and the result of that was this kind of flowering of creativity that. She would have never, ever considered if she had access to funds, because when you have access to funds, you can buy postcards. You don't need to make them. And so this 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 sense of, you know, the joy that comes when one is willing to move into a new way of being, because it all of a sudden opens up your eyes to something that you hadn't seen before. And is the case when one is on a pilgrimage, and is the case when one is is traveling, where one's vulnerability is much more apparent than one is used to, one is recipient to all kinds of manner of acts of kindness and generosity. You know, so it's often the case when one's traveling or one's going on a journey like this is that, you know, one's not prepared. And... It was our experience, you know, we we weren't very fit and our packs were too heavy, and and nevertheless there we were, and and yet, you know, Ajahn Chanda Paulo offered to walk with us the first leg of our journey, and and uh, one of the one of some of the friends carried our packs for part of the leg of our journey, and so there's these gestures of friendliness that are unexpected and very heartwarming that help. So when one gives up something or is willing to make a step in a particular direction, one finds support coming in unexpected ways. And there's a joy in in being able to receive that, just open to that, being able to receive other people's generosity. Generosity. When we got to the first sanctuary, it, it was uh first day that we had been walking. I, I have a love for maps. And uh, we had five different maps with us. And many of them were of the same area, but none of them actually correlated with each other. So they had totally different information on them. And the maps also did not... Correlate to the reality of the places we were walking in, <laughs> and so we had these maps. But we had an interesting time because neither Jeannie and I spoke Italian. So we had the seminar Brahmino, who's Italian. We we had a few phrases. Have him write a few phrases, and and one of them was "Excuse me, but we are lost." (laughs) And and that was one phrase that we managed to learn quite well by the end of our by the end of our journey. So we were looking at our maps that weren't correlating to the streets that we were walking in, and and uh, and so I would go up to somebody and say, "Excuse me, we are lost, and we want to go to this sanctuary. Where do we go?" You know, and Italian people are just fantastic, so it's like it's this way and that way and this way and that way, and this way and that way, and go like that and go like that and like that and like that and like that and like that like that, so the hands and the articulation and the speed with which they're speaking, and it was like the only thing that was apparent was is that the next step was that way. <laughs> And so, you know, one trusts that the next step is that way and walks that way and look at the maps that don't correlate. And then one gets again back into a place where one realizes one doesn't know where one is. One tries again, excuse me, we are lost. (laughs) But somehow or another, through, through things, through the way things are, through the kindness of people, we arrive. I don't know how we arrived. It's a bit of a miracle that we arrived, but we arrived. And when you, when we arrived, we arrived at a place that was very welcoming and people were very delighted to have us there. So, you know, we're, we're Buddhist nuns and this is a Franciscan, um, monastery training novice, Franciscan novices. And they were absolutely delighted to have us there. And it was, there was, you know, this sense of the joy of such an unexpectedly warm welcome you know it was really lovely so they asked us some questions of what we were doing and what our intentions were and you know where if what we needed or anything and, and they asked us what our plans were for the next day and so we said well we were going to go on alms round in the village next and they were asking what that meant and they asked well can we can we offer you alms can we bring you alms So we said, yeah, that would be okay. You can bring us on. So the novices brought, you know, a tray for breakfast with, with enough for ten, you know, (laughs) and, and lunch for same, you know, it was just such a generous kind of with gifts and, you know, just delighted. And, and so we said, well, you know, in our, in our tradition, when we receive offerings, we, we recite a blessing. Are you happy for us to do that? And they said, Oh, yes, please. <laughs> you know, so here, here we were, two Buddhist nuns in a Franciscan, um, friary, uh, reciting a blessing for having received the alms food for the day. And everyone seemed to be absolutely delighted that this was happening. You know, and so one, you know, one opens oneself up and the re- what one receives is, y- y- it's not within one's imagination that these things are possible, you know. And so we c- continued on our journey and we were continuing walking and uh, and once again we got lost. <laughs> and so we got off the path and we were in a different place and we were up in a valley and uh, we were thirsty. I noticed somebody had a little um, tap in the corner of their garden and I saw the person coming out of the car so I asked in Spanish if I could use the tap to fill the water so he came up and helped us and we got the water and we drank and that was fine and then I asked him if it if it looked like it was going to rain in Spanish or broken Spanish and he didn't understand my broken Spanish so he said, "My my brother speaks English you know, he's just here my brother speaks English, will you come? So we did, and we, we sat down with them, and they had spent quite a lot of time in England and spoke English fluently, and we had didn't have a place to stay that night. Um, we were going to see if we could stay in the church, and we had gone up a wrong way. We were in a valley, and where we were intending to go was, was quite a distance, and there was no way we had the energy to get there that evening, and we probably wouldn't have had the energy to get there the next day either, because... Our packs were uh, too heavy, and we were walking too slow. So we were just sitting down with these people out of nothing, and and they said, well, where were you intending to go? And so we were explaining, well, we were going to stay in the church. And so, you know, the conversation moves from this to that and that to this, and they said, well, you can stay probably in the church. We know the vicar down there, and we can ask if you'd like. And they said, but wh- where were you planning to go tomorrow? And they said, well, we're going to go to Greccio, this sanctuary. They said, "Well, we can drive you there." And you know, it was so—it was so much out of my um, like. Uh, something happens quickly that's so much not what you're expecting. It takes a little time to adjust to it, you know. And so I—I I, I finally felt comfortable enough with the possibility that they could drive us there, and they did. And we spent two days at this place. But the, the kindness, you know, they said it's just five minutes. It's just five minutes drive. It's just five minutes. It wasn't five minutes. It was a half an hour drive, you know, each way. And just to take us out of their way like that, it, you know, just very, very lovely. Very, very beautiful. So there's a joy that comes when one is, is opening up to uncertainty and then able to receive the kind of the, uh, the generosity that comes as a result. It's just, it's a beautiful thing. So our journeys continued, and uh we stayed in a few more sanctuaries, and then in one sanctuary, we were there for one night, and we had intended to go to the, um, there's a special beech tree that St. Francis used to pray under that was up in the mountains, and we were going to walk there, stay overnight at the beech tree, and then walk back. And so we head off in the morning. It was... Eight o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, and there was no one on the. There was no one around. No one was there. And uh, a man comes up and approaches us and speaks in Italian. Where are you going? And we're, say, we say, "To the." I knew how to say the beech tree, the faggio, faggio San Francesco, el Camino de San Francesco. So I could tell him that I was going on the Camino to the beech tree. So he showed me in his hand language that the, that the road was broken. You couldn't go that way. And that he told us in sign language that we had to actually make a detour to another, um, village because the road was broken and we couldn't pass it and we had to make this detour, which was a few kilometers more, like five or six kilometers more. And that from this other village, then we can go. So he said all of this in Italian with his hands, which I understood. But I refused to accept that as what was actually going to happen because our packs were more than we could quite manage and six extra kilometers was a lot to do and we had somebody who was going to meet us for Donna at the beech tree. So we thought, well, you know, we're clever people and we've got these maps that we can't read. We'll be able to navigate through the broken road, you know, either up or around or down and up or somehow we'll be fine, you know. So... We just thought we'll ignore him, you know. We'll just ignore him. The 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 fratero, the the friar, didn't tell us that the road was broken. Maybe, maybe he doesn't have the right information. And if he does have the right information, we'll manage somehow anyway. So we just decided to ignore him and continued on our road. And a half an hour later, he comes with his car after us. <laughs> and tells us again, the road is broken, you cannot go this way, you have to go by the village, you cannot go on the road, it's broken. So I said to him, well, we would walk around it, and he said, you cannot walk around it, it's completely broken. So he said, I will take you to the other village, and I will bring you there. So I looked at Jeannie, and Jeannie looked at me, and it was like, you know, who is this person, and where did he come from, and why is he doing this? You know, it's early in the morning, and there's nobody around, and why is he doing this? It was so out of the ordinary as to be difficult to accept so we finally relented and consented and got in the car and he took us to the village and showed us the way and we, we, we went on our way and he gave us a poem that he had written about Saint Francis. He was a lay, like a lay minister. And you know, you know, what, what do you do with an experience like that? You know, it's just uh, quite, um, it's beyond one's normal ideas about how the world is in terms of what one is able to accept so we went to the beech tree and the beech tree was beautiful and it it, you know it's up in 4,500 feet like kind of small mountains and the the wildflowers are exploding in the fields orchids and pinks and blues and yellows and oranges and reds and just s- stunning, just beautiful, beautiful. So we came back from the, the beech tree, and we walked back, and uh, we went back to the sanctuary we had intended to, and, and on the way back we wanted to go on alms round because we didn't have any food with us, and we were intending to go on alms round. And it was Sunday. So I asked in my broken Spanish, where is the pizzeria? Or the panaderia? Where's the place where they make bread and make pizza? And, and so somehow indicated to them that we, that we were, we were needing some food. And these two ladies who stopped us in this village, they, they heard you need food. And their immediate response was to peel off and dash into their houses and come back with, with an incredible amount of food so Jeannie, one of the phrases that we had is, is that you know we're not allowed to eat past midday and this this is only this is the food that this we're going to eat is we are only allowed to eat at past midday at before midday and this one woman was like mamma mia you can only eat before one eat eat more have more <laughs> And you know these people—it's it, just uh, very, very touching. You know, just very touching. So again, we tried to explain that we have—we have one of our phrases. We have a—we have a prayer that we recite for when we receive food. Would you like to hear this prayer? And so these two ladies again were very happy. And so the older of the two said in her Italian, which I understood from my little Spanish. She said, you know. I'm devoted to Saint Francis. Saint Francis gave away everything. Anybody who lives like Saint Francis I am happy to support. This kind of innocent, open hearted um acceptance of life. It's, it's I find it just very, very touching, it's very moving. So from that from that day. We went up into a cave, and we spent two nights in a cave in the mountain, and then we walked for two days in in the mountains where we weren't around people. And so, you know, one day we walked for 10 hours, and because we'd been sleeping out, we were, or at least I was, bitten from head to toe with various different midgy, bitey things that came from the fields and the grass. So there was from head to toe I was covered with bites and I was itching and Jeannie hadn't slept at all the the time we were out you know we we had been out for eight or nine days and she didn't she didn't sleep during this whole journey she slept an hour one afternoon and 10 minutes another afternoon and other than that she wasn't sleeping but she wasn't in a panic about it either so she You should get up in the morning and she was bright and it was okay. So there was a, you know, there was a day of walking. We were walking for 10 hours. It was much longer walking than either of us had the energy for. So we were walking long past being tired. But it was interesting to see that you know just with the contact with the simplicity of the life and just living on faith and receiving people's generosity and kindness and and spending a lot of time in caves and in meditation and in silence just how much the mind began to feel at ease and comfortable and joyous at the simplest things you know it was such a blessing when we were cold and the sun came out. It was such a blessing when we were thirsty and there was water to drink. We had food, we had bread that was four days old and it was dry, and we had cheese that was four days old and it was dry, and it was such a blessing to have food when you're hungry. And the, the kind of, the blessings of, of living was not so much about it only feeling comfortable, but the blessings of a sense of contentment that came independent of whether we were feeling comfortable or not. And so we can see in our practice, you know, as we practice together, that there's there's many layers of joy that we can uncover. And some of them is a is a quiet kind of joy that allows it to be not comfortable, but there's a contentment and a clarity of purpose that we can experience even in the midst of that. On that first pilgrimage to Asia many years ago, when I was in Ajahn Buddhadasa's monastery in southern Thailand, they had an art gallery. So different people were making um, different murals or expressions that conveyed the Dhamma through visual images and through art. And one of the images that I found most striking in that art gallery was a picture of a a monk, with his hands up and the caption read, Oh, what joy to discover there is no happiness in this world. And so this kind of joy is the joy where one realizes that the the, the, the things that we experience in the world is not ultimately where our happiness comes from. But when we actually realize that, when we touch that, then what it frees up is the capacity to experience the joy that we have with the world without attaching to it. The beauty of a flower, the tenderness of someone's kindness, the delight of the light changing during the day, the wonder of what it is to become incarnate and fully human and feel the fullness of our own life force as it moves through our bodies and our hearts and our minds. But as we realize that this is not belonging to any concrete, permanent unchanging being there's another kind of joy that arises it's the joy that arises when we know that what we truly are when everything falls away is awareness that has on one side The capacity to know things clearly as they are, and on the other side, the capacity to feel empathetic and connected to with compassion. So I'd like to offer that for reflection for this evening.